If you had a particular gift, how would you use it? Would you use it to become a world famous celebrity and take all the plaudits that would come with this fame? Or would you squander it as society would tell you that this skill is not a skill worth having and that you yourself don't deserve the success that comes with this because of the blood that runs through your veins? What if this skill gave you the opportunity to inspire others at their weakest? To rise up and be counted as human beings? Would you accept the challenge? What type of things could you inspire? Well, it's an Irishman from Boston who answers these questions for us. This is his story. In Roxbury, Boston, in 1858, two Irish immigrants who had fled Ireland during the Great Famine on coffin ships met, and they had a son. His name was John Sullivan. Both his parents had lived through the horrible suffering of the Irish people during the famine. His father from Kerry was with the rest of his family, evicted from his home due to an inability to pay the landlord's high rents, and was forced to watch as their thatched roof was set on fire to stop the family having somewhere safe to stay during this horrible time. The attitude of the landlord was he would rather see the family homeless during this great time of suffering than be short financially on his rents. The ships his parents would separately arrive to America on were very similar. Cargo ships designed to carry timber to the New World. The ships would collect the timber and other trade materials from the Americas deposit them in England and pick up the poor people of Ireland as they returned across the ocean. With these ships being built and designed for cargo, they were not fit for humans. Those who travelled were forced into the belly of the ship, and in most cases they would not be allowed on deck to see sunlight for the duration of their journey, a venture which would take up to three months. They were overcrowded and disease infested. On the worst ships, passengers were allocated about two feet of space per passenger. The Irish, fleeing from famine, were carrying many diseases with them due to the poor conditions they were living in. With some having lived in the workhouses to try to save money and but a year's salary to be able to get a ticket for one of the ships, they brought diseases from the workhouses to the boats. Many died in the journey. Those who lived landed in the Americas and faced great racism and discrimination due to being Irish and Catholic. Small Irish ghettos began to appear where the Irish had worked together to try and make their lives better collectively. John's parents were not immune to any of this. When his father left Ireland, his surname was O'Sullivan. When he landed in America, the authorities changed it to just Sullivan. It was a common occurrence to undermine their Irishness and remove a unique Irish take on surnames identifying you as a specific clan or tribe. The horrors his father lived through made him quite an aggressive man and typically for the Irish living through this ordeal he had a large dependency on alcohol to suppress his memories and experiences. These were traits John would inherit. From his mother he inherited a large frame great big shoulders and massive hands. He was built like a sledgehammer. His parents, having come from starvation, ensured their son never went hungry and John was filled with all the meat and potatoes they could get their hands on to ensure his large frame was always filled out. Given the lack of opportunities for the Irish in America at the time, John's family tried to force him into the priesthood. 
a noble profession where he would never go poor or hungry. John showed through his schooling that he had a great intellect and he would have no problem whatever route of education he would take. He followed his parents' wishes and enrolled in Boston College in 1875. His parents were tremendously proud of their boy. He had gone from being a pauper son, who almost never was, only for their sacrifice and struggle. Becoming a priest back home in Ireland at the time was an exclusive profession for the sons of the wealthy Catholics due to the cost of training. Their boy was going through it off the back of hard work, with no special connections or supports. After a few months of study, John broke his mother's heart. He had found during his time in college a wonderful love of sport, particularly baseball. He could make such a clean connection with the ball that people would go to the greens to see him send it long. The crack of his bat became famous across Boston. He was offered a professional contract and left college. He was to be paid $40 per week to play, the equivalent of $1,500 today. Given where he had come from, this was massive. To keep fit during the off-season, John took up boxing. As a young boy, it was a sport he enjoyed and excelled in in the Boston Irish ghettos. He was the undefeated champion amongst the young Irish boys fighting on street corners and down alleyways. Whilst he was training, his ability to fight as a bare-knuckle boxer was spotted by a promoter and he was encouraged to leave baseball and take up prize fighting. At the time, prize fighting was an illegal blood sport, but given the illegalities of it, John could make more money out of it than he could in baseball, and he didn't hesitate for a second to accept the offer. He put down the bat and picked up his fists. In 1881, Without any actual boxing training, apart from what his father taught him, John took part in exhibition shows, which are now partially illegal. John began to become famous amongst the sports fans of America as the great Irishman who was knocking out everyone. He became such an iconic figure that the former legends of the sport took up his challenge. Veteran Steve Taylor, an all-American hero, took on John to put the Irishman back in his box. John knocked him clean out in the second round. Whilst John was rising to fame, another Irish boxer was a few steps ahead of him, Thurlow's born boxer Paddy Ryan. And in 1882, under much hype, the two men were to meet to decide who was the heavyweight champion of the world, with Ryan the much fancied. The fight disappointed everyone. It was expected to be a massive great event where the man from the old country would face the man from the new country in a fierce Celtic battle. John dispatched the Turles man in just 10 minutes. Today this is seen as the first ever heavyweight deciding fight, making John the first heavyweight champion of the world. Between 1883 and 1884 John powered his way through America. Boxing clubs were now mandatory, which was a rule change he welcomed as it also offered him protection and he had great belief in his ability to box through rounds rather than just have one great punch as many other fighters relied on. He upped his fight fee to $1,000 which would be given to any man who could last more than four rounds with him. John's purse was never open to pay out.
John continued to fight away, but was starting to get bored of the lack of challenges, and as his father's dependency on alcohol was passed on to him, he had great trouble staying away from the bottle. To seek a new challenge and to keep active, John set sail out of Boston with the aim of defeating everybody in the world. He was going to find the best fighters out there and claim their titles. As he fought across the globe, he was often invited to meet the heads of states and other dignitaries when he landed in certain countries. His most famous meeting coming as he met the Prince of Wales and future King of England, Edward VII. Edward was totally opposed to boxing as a sport. He saw it as the poor man's sport and not for a man of his class. He did, however, present John with a set of emeralds, a symbol of Ireland for the Irishman. The following day, John headed for Dublin, his homeland. Ireland in 1887 was a country reeling in the wallow of sadness. The emotional weight carried by those living on the island was a burden carried by all. Those who had not left during the famine were carrying its physical and emotional scars. The land still had signs of the heaps and piles of bodies where they were placed in mass graves or on death mounds. Not only were the people dealing with the psychological issues of the famine, but they were also beaten down due to the failing of the first Home Rule Bill. The first Home Rule Bill was put forward in 1886 and it was the first major attempt by the Irish people to have their own parliament and ability to manage their own affairs. It didn't mean they would be independent from Britain, but rather they would decide things for themselves and then report into Westminster. It occurred through the pressure being placed on the then British Prime Minister, William Gladstone, by an Irishman and nationalist, Charles Stuart Parnell. Parnell was an Irish Member of Parliament representing Cork City. Gladstone, being a Liberal, was willing to listen to the arguments for the Irish for the first time. Parnell and his colleagues described how it was British rule which was causing so much hardship over the centuries in Ireland, something which had never been explained to the British public. Gladstone decided that in order to end the problems in Ireland, some action would have to be taken. He felt that the best thing to do would be give Ireland back its own Parliament under the watchful eye of the British establishment. The Parliament had originally been removed in the Act of Union in 1800, leading to the destruction of the island for the betterment of wealthy landlords loyal to the British Crown. Gladstone, believing he was a man with superior intelligence to those around him, did not consult with anyone when drafting the bill. He excluded input from either British and Irish elected MPs. His bill sought to create a parliament in Dublin for the Irish MPs, and these would be exempt from Westminster duties. However, Westminster would have a final say without Irish input in some of the matters. The Irish, although it wasn't the freedom they were ultimately seeking, were delighted that they were getting some kind of a start. It lifted the mood of a depressed, downbeaten people, as it looked as though they were going to move towards freedom once and for all in a peaceful manner. They had not known democracy or fairness when seeking freedoms, and this was looked as though would be successful, finally. Due to his lack of consultation, however, when Gladstone introduced the bill, the Irish Unionists formed an organisation called the Irish Unionist Allegiance to fight Home Rule. They were made of Ulster Scots, 
who had stolen the land in Ulster from the Catholics during the successful plantations, and they feared should the Irish finally have rights, they may look to take their land back. They were incredibly influential. Despite being a small group, they received large donations from wealthy Protestant landlords in Dublin, Cork and Belfast. These were the people who stood to lose the most if Home Rule passed, as it would look to raise the Catholic Irish off their knees and begin living. This would affect their profits, as they were up until this point effectively running Ireland as a slave colony, breeding Catholics to promote their profits. Due to their now financial power, they were able to lobby opposition in Westminster and promote the idea that if the Irish to have rights, they would weaken the Union and other parts of the Empire, such as Scotland, and they may look for other similar rights. It could lead to the breakdown of the British Empire. They were successful and the bill did not pass. The Irish were to continue as slaves. When John arrived into Dublin, he could never expect the reaction he received. As he landed in Dunleary, he was swarmed with what only be described as a siege of Irish. He was looked upon as a god. The beaten down people were seen one of their own making it to the big time. A world champion born out of their struggle. He was as much a son of everyone in the crowd as he was to his own parents. He was brought to a second floor window in a nearby building where the crowd called for him to speak. He thanked them for coming out and described how proud he was to represent the country and the ordinary Irish people. He told the crowd, whatever happens in his life and wherever the road may take him, Ireland will always be his home. He single-handedly lifted the spirit of an entire nation in one speech. John then set out on a tour of Ireland, going to see as much of the island as he could. Everywhere he went, he was welcomed with open arms. When a town would get wind he was on the way, they would put up posters saying, come out and welcome home the conquering hero. When he arrived at Leinster Hall to be a guest at a boxing exhibition, he shocked the upper classes and instead of talking about his career and his achievements or thanking them for having him as a guest, he spoke of Ireland's struggle and how he and the people would rise as one and liberate Ireland. The ordinary people broke into a standing ovation. No newspaper would publish his speech and some failed to mention he was there at all. He was now seen as a massive threat to the establishment and he was showing the Irish people had a choice. They could now stand on their own feet if they wanted to. He went to more of these types of events, always rising the crowds. In order to encourage the national spirit, when asked about who may challenge for his title, he only ever mentioned Irish boxers, particularly Corkman Frank Creedon. When he arrived in Cork, great pressure rose from to actually fight Creedon, a man half his size. He refused to fight in these grounds, but the pressure kept coming and the two were placed in the ring for an exhibition. John made dust of Creedon, but did not celebrate the victory the only time in his career to do so. After the fight, John gave Creedon a genuine gold medal for his bravery and held him as an inspiration. John then moved on to Limerick, where he again met a great response from the thousands who came out to see him. This infuriated the establishment, as the week before, the Lord and Lady of Derry, or Londonderry as they called it, 
also landed in Limerick, expecting a great welcome from the locals. Soldiers were deployed to manage the crowds that would be there to welcome them, but it was a waste of time. Nobody came out to see them. John was solely responsible for raising the hopes and dreams of a nation. It was his influence on the poor Irish that allowed others to be inspired to succeed as well. Many Irish athletes, particularly boxers who came in the years after him, mentioned how seeing him in the flesh and hearing what he would say about the Irish made them believe they could be champions too. He returned to America and continued his fighting career over the next few years. Even as he's got older, his powers never left him. He once won 75 rounds in one fight near the end of his career. He did, however, suffer his first defeat in his last bout, beaten by the son of Mayo immigrants, James Corbett. He retired after this, and alcoholism set into his life once again. He died aged 59. In 1990, he was introduced to the Boxing Hall of Fame as a legend. Today's music was written, produced and performed by Ryan O'Halloran. We the Irish is an Ireland production. Ornus Anandum. Gurmagut. Slonanish.